Welcome to the supporting cast. This is Eli Goldsmith. Today's guest is Terry Barnum, head of athletics at Harvard Westlake. We talked to Terry about his upbringing in Chatsworth. We talked a bit about his dad, um, about his high school career at Alamany, some of the coaches and teachers that impacted him. His time at USC, Terry scored a touchdown for USC in the Rose Bowl. Um, we talked a bit about that. If you know Terry, Terry speaks in sound bites, and it's uh, it's always a fun conversation, no matter if you're sitting in a podcast or sitting in an office uh, with Terry. And uh, hope you enjoy this. This is the supporting cast. Barnum, welcome to the supporting cast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so today it's a what is it a Thursday afternoon? Yep. At about three forty-five. Yeah. What are all the athletic activities going on that you can think of at the moment? Yeah. So we're in the middle of winter season, um, and it's the beginning of, of January. So a lot of uh, winter sports are going on right now. So we're looking at boys and girls soccer or. Specifically today, they're practicing. Uh, girls water polo is up at a tournament uh, up at Oaks Christian High School. Boys and girls basketball are practicing. Uh, we got some out-of-season sports practices, so track and field is on the track right now. I just, uh, on my way here to the studio, was walking by some kids doing sprints on the track mm -hmm. and um, water polos in the pool, boys' water polos in the pool, which it feels like boys' water polos always in the pool. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's it's fun. This is a very busy time of year for us. If you call the meat of our athletic calendar, it's probably during the winter. During the so, winter. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So here's, I guess this is a, a question stepping back. You have all this activity going on. Sure. You have coaches. You have part-time coaches. You have facilities. There's so much that goes into athletics at Harvard-Westlake. Why is athletics important at Harvard-Westlake? Hmm. You could run a school and just have classes, just have drama. No one has to change their clothes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what makes athletics important here? You know, it, it's it's been said, and I, this is not an original quote, but uh, it, it's been said that athletics is the front porch of an institution. So, if, so. You, if you think of an institution as a house, um, what's inside, the, the academics, the people, the classrooms, um, that's the part that very few people get to see. Uh, you either have to be a student at the school, you have to be a teacher, or somehow have a reason to go into a classroom, to go into the studio that we're in. The public doesn't really see this. Um, but just like the public doesn't see the inside of your house, typically. Uh, but when they drive by or they walk by, they see the front porch. And then they make assumptions about what it looks like inside, who lives there, um, what they like to do, the the, the level of, uh, of, of quality of the house, all of that are assumptions that are made based off of what the front porch looks like. And so in many ways, athletics serves that purpose for schools. Um, but does that mean it's sort of just the marketing arm of the school or are there, is there learning that happens oh, in an athletics a, there's, context? There's a lot of learning that happens. That doesn't I, happen somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think, and, and, and Rick Commons and I often talk about it, and that's one of the things that he loves most about athletics when he's talking to faculty or alums about it, is that the, the ideas of teamwork and um, sportsmanship and working together, those are very hard concepts to teach in a classroom setting. Um, but 
they are taught every single day athletically. Um, you have to work together. It's not about it's not about is what we like to say is down the hill. It's the it's the we education where it's about all of us and about what we're doing and what we can accomplish together, um, and that makes it unique. And I'm told I'm a I'm, you're preaching to the converted here. Yeah. <laughs> One of my most influential people was a high school baseball coach sure. who taught me all those lessons that wouldn't have been taught elsewhere. How do you identify because coaches? depending on the sport, depending on their own personalities, have, have, can have very different approaches and skill sets. Sure. How do you go about identifying who's the right person um, and bringing them and, and making sure they understand that culture and that you you want to teach values greater than just winning? Sure. Um, well, one, you don't do it in a vacuum. Okay. Um, one of the things that whenever we're looking for a new coach, um, and I say we because any hire we make, um, is one that the entire school community really needs to buy into. Uh, it, it doesn't typically work out well if it's just someone that maybe I like or fits with me but can't connect with the kids, can't connect with the other coaches, doesn't interact well with faculty. Um, it's going to be a problem. And so in the process, we have every one of our um, program heads, the, the, the men and women who run the programs, uh, they meet with a number of people across the campus, um, everyone from, and many times, depending on his schedule, or from Rick Commons all the way down to uh, whether it's students or uh, teachers or they, we have them go observe a class uh, just so they get a good sense of who we are as a school. And so as many people in our community can get a chance to see who they are um, and get a sense of whether they'll be a good fit here. And so once someone kind of goes through that process, I take that feedback from all of them and um, and then figure out from there, based on the feedback from the community and my own personal observations and the recommendations I get from, from their references, um, whether they would end up being a good fit for us or not. We don't always get it right, unfortunately, um, and it can be rather painful when we don't get it right, uh, but more often than not, we do, uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of the coaches that we, that we have here at Harvard Wesley. And speaking to sort of the diversity of coaches at the school, there are some sports that are different than other sports yes. at the school. And sure. I, I get this question a lot from parents that there are certain sports where we are competing on a state, if not a national level, sports yes. like baseball and water polo. Um, and then there are sports that, are, that aren't that way, that, that if you're, you're, you go out for the team, you're pretty likely to make the team and get some playing time. Right. How do you balance those too, uh, because, uh, you know, boys basketball is a very competitive sport. Right. Some families who, whose children are good at basketball come to the school, don't end up getting the playing time that they <laughs> would want to because of how competitive we are. How do you balance that and see, I guess, how do you balance that? And then how do you see the value of those uber sports yeah, I, I think impacting that, the school positively and negatively? Absolutely. Because, because we're so diverse in the level of sport and the type of sport that we offer, that's actually really a strength of our institution. Um, I, if it were up to me, every kid at Harvard Westlake would have to play a sport. Yeah. Not because we want to build some kind of athletic, uh, you know, empire, but because of those lessons that we just talked about yeah. that are so important that sport can teach. I would love if it were a requirement for every student to, to play a sport. Um, but because we offer that variety of sport with different levels of commitment, which is actually one of our athletic principles is that, you know, Harvard Westlake is committed to offering sports that are single season, multiple season, and year round uh, with various levels of ability that are required and commitment levels that are asked. Um, 
to meet the needs of the of the diverse students that we have at our school. Um, one of the strengths of our school is our diverse population. And so all of our curriculum, be it academic, artistic, or athletic, should match that diversity. And so having a, a program like track and field, for instance, where you can be a three-month track and field athlete. You mm -hmm. can come out essentially now, um, run through the season, and then not come back out again until January of next year and still have a meaningful experience. You can also be a track and field athlete that does it year-round. And so being able to have programs that meet the needs of a wide variety of students, I think, adds to the overall strength of our of our athletic department. Um, it also helps us keep a balance. If, if every program in our department were year-round mm -hmm. and perform with the intensity level of water polo or girls volleyball mm -hmm. or boys basketball, um, it would be a very isolating department. There would mm -hmm. only be so many kids who would be able to do it, yeah. be able to devote that time, and still keep up with the academic rigor of our school. Um, and we'd actually be a much smaller department. We just would be. And kids would choose to go on and do something else much earlier in their careers. Uh, and it, we wouldn't be as central to, I think, our, our school's um, spirit mm -hmm. as we are now. And, and a big reason is because you can be a hardcore serious athlete or you can be the kind of athlete that that's just one of many things that you do and still find a home in our department that's that's a real strength of our department i think well that and and so i, I think that makes sense with regard to some of the the smaller sports and sure. the more community oriented sports what's the value of those uber sports what is the value of the girls volleyball having a baseball team that's number 1 in the nation you could argue gosh that's it's it's nice for our reputation but is that taking away somehow from the community aspects of the school if there are these certain sports that seem to stand out in such a way? Or does that uh, kind of speak to the excellence of the school? Um, how do you see those as in keeping with uh, the values that you were talking about earlier? Yeah, I, I would hope that others would see it this way. The way that we see it is that it, it actually adds to community um, when we're able to have 5,000 plus fans at Dodger Stadium as we had yeah. this past spring when our team was playing for the CIF championship. I mean, that builds community. I don't know that there is one single event that we do at our school that draws the same number of people as homecoming. Correct. Instance, Correct. Right? Um, homecoming is a, a, a day-long celebration. We have thousands of people on campus. Um, even graduation doesn't draw that many members of our community at the same time. And so um, we look at sports as being a community builder. And, and the advantage of having sports that are elite is that it speaks to one of the cornerstone um, priorities or values of our school. You know, we, we talk about community excellence, integrity and purpose. Uh, having an elite program or multiple elite programs speaks to that excellence. Um, you know, our, our students strive to go to national and, and world-renowned institutions um, once they leave Harvard-Westlake and they want to be prepared for that while they're here. Uh, we feel like we should be preparing them not only academically but athletically as well for those challenges. And the best way to do that is to have some elite programs. Again, because of the size of our institution and because we are a 7 through 12 institution, having exclusively elite programs is not it's not in keeping with the mission of our right. school. Um, but being able to have some, I think, does speak to our mission and does serve the needs uh, of many students that come through our school. Got it. So, Terry, I don't know. Where where did you grow up? 
Oh. Where are you from? <laughs> I was LA? born. I was born in Tampa, Florida. Actually, oh, okay, I didn't yeah. know that. And, and much of my family still lives in the South. Uh, so I was born in Tampa, Florida. Lived there until I was three, and then my dad got a job promotion, and we moved out here to California, to Chatsworth, California. Oh, yeah. Uh, when we moved to Chatsworth in 1977. And what was his line of work? Uh, he was a can maker. So he worked oh. for, at the time, uh, Slitz Brewing Company. <laughs> um, and he worked in their can division. So there was a big plant in Chatsworth um, where they made the beer cans huh. that beers eventually put into. And yeah. he was the quality control manager, making oh. sure that the color on the can and the density of the can was all what it was supposed to be. And so um, that's the work that he did. He did that work for well over 20, 30 years. Did that translate, that attention to detail, did that translate to the rest of his life or how his parenting style? You know what is so funny? He <laughs> would always, growing up, I remember our, my father would always tell us, uh, don't grow up to make cans. Like that, <laughs> that, would, that was one of the things that he would say. And I, you know, it's funny now looking back. It's noble it, work. That's, would, that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. I yeah. mean, we all, you know, we all make cans. We on all a, make cans a, in some way, yeah, shape, right. or form, right? And so, but he would say that typically after a hard day, we're like, "Don't grow up to make cans." <laughs> sure, he's kind of grumpy about it. But no, I learned a lot from my dad's work ethic. Um, for a long time, I had a picture in my office, a painting of uh, an African American uh, father with his son sitting at the desk, or he was sitting at the desk, and the son was on was reading a book while dad was doing work, and and it, it reminded me of of when I would see. My dad come home from work. Uh, he was always in a dress shirt and a tie. Mm -hmm. He was always tired. Um, <laughs> but he would always get up and go to work the next day. Uh, my, my siblings and I often joke about the idea of the last thing you ever wanted to do when we were growing up was bother dad at work. <laughs> You never did that. And this is pre-cell phone. So yeah. if you wanted to, there was no texting. If you wanted to call someone, you had to call their actual office phone. Um and we knew very clearly either someone had to be dying or the house had to be on fire to bother my to dad. Call dad. Yeah, do not yeah. bother dad at work because he was and is the leader of our family. And he was going there working long hours and working really hard so that we were able to have the things that we had. You know, when we moved to, to Chatsworth in the early seven in the late seventies, um, we were one of only two black families in the city of Chatsworth. Huh. That was it. Um, a lot of cow pastures, a lot of horse trails, um, and us. And so he had to work really hard for that. And and it was a tough decision for him and, and my mother to decide to leave Tampa, Florida. That's where our family was. That's where we had grown up. That's where they had grown up. Um, but my dad envisioned something greater for his kids. They envisioned um, us being able to go to um elite schools and, and, and lead a life that was better than his. And so what he did, um, he felt like Los Angeles was a place that that was going to happen, that Tampa was too small. And, and he said, Tampa's too small for my dreams, basically. And I need to go to L.A. Uh, so that my kids can realize those dreams. And, and it was a very courageous move. We knew no one out here. Wow. And he picked up and the six of us moved out here. So you have three siblings? I have three older siblings. I'm the baby. Oh, of the, the, oh of the okay. Bunch. Wow. Yes. Uh, my, my older sister. Baby is a, Terry. <laughs> yes. He's <laughs> an elementary school teacher in Boston. My uh, brother uh, works for Northrop Grumman. He is a 20-plus uh, year retired in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And uh, my brother closest to me is a lawyer in Atlanta. 
Hmm. And uh, and then me. I'm eight years younger than my uh, closest brother. Wow. The surprise, yeah. maybe. I was maybe. a surprise. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was definitely a, sur- a surprise. And so Alamany High School, what was your experience there? Uh, and what were there any teachers and coaches looking back now sure. that were influential at Alamany? Or maybe before, but I think maybe starting in, in high school. Well, so here's what's so funny. My, my brothers and sisters went to Chatsworth High School. They went to a public school. Hmm. And... I was a ball boy for my brother's high school football team when he was a senior, and uh, their colors were orange and white, and I loved the color orange. It was so bright, and you know, <laughs> as a kid, you're so attracted to that. And mom, both of my brothers were really, really good football players, all city football players, had a lot of recognition. And so I just knew I was going to Chatsworth High yeah. School. That's where I wanted to go. Um, but my parents refused to let me go there. And why? Because they felt like I couldn't get the education there that they wanted for me, Um, that they had to fight to get my brothers and sisters into the honors and AP classes that they deserve to be in, Mm. Um, that the teachers and administration there wouldn't allow them to take the test in order to test into those programs Um, without my parents going down there and fighting to push their sons and daughter into those honors programs. And they didn't want to fight anymore. And so they were like, no, you're going to go to a private school. Um, where it's a better education and we're not going to have to fight to get you what you deserve. And so... Because of the teachers or the school's preconceptions about because your Because of the school's preconceptions family. about huh. the family and about what my brothers and sisters were able to do. Hmm. Um, that's how it was. And so I... Uh, going to Chatsworth was never even an option. I wanted to go there. Yeah, wanted you wanted to, to wear the uniform. I wanted to wear the uniform. <laughs> I wanted to follow in the legacy of Barnum boys playing on the, yeah. on the Chatsworth Chancellor football team. Uh, that was never an option for me. And so they said, you can pick from the private schools uh, in the area, um, but you're not going to Chatsworth. And mm-hmm. so uh, I chose Alamany because uh, I liked the size. It was a bigger school. Uh, I liked the feel of it. Um, they had a, a good, strong football program, and I wanted to be a part of that. And so, uh, yeah, that's Was the school more diverse at that point than Chatsworth High School? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. It was definitely more diverse than Chatsworth. Um, and that was something that was a draw as well. Um but yeah, that, I, I loved my time there, and and, and Alamany, you know, kind of laid the foundation uh, for me from an athletic standpoint. Um, it's funny you talk about teachers that and that influenced me. There, yeah. Two or coaches, that, yeah, yeah, that really stand out um, for my time at at uh, at Alamany. Uh, the first is uh, John Mack. John Mack was my freshman track coach. Okay, uh, he was also a football coach, and actually has gone on to be a, a legendary uh, high school football coach here in Southern California. Uh, built the program at St. Bonaventure High School, um, has done really well at at, uh, other high schools as well. He's coached at. Uh, He was a young uh, track coach, an offensive line coach at Alamany. And back then, freshmen weren't allowed to play varsity football. So Mm. there was no way for me to even petition to play varsity. I had to play freshman football. So he didn't coach me in football, but freshmen could run varsity track. So he was my track coach. and, And he was the first one who kind of gave me a jolt of humility that I'd always been kind of the fastest kid on the team and or the fastest athlete and things had come easy to me. Yeah. And he pushed me and he was like, um, you're actually not as good as you think you are. <laughs> and how that, did he do that? Did he do it in real time? Did he sit you down? Did he... Yeah. He literally said that. He's yeah. like, you're not as good <laughs> as you think you are. Um, you can be as good as you think you are if you work hard. Um, and so you, these are the things you need to do. And so he taught me about that. He taught me how to work, work ethic, hard, how yeah. to work hard, um, how to judge myself on a 
state and national level and not just my local high school, like being the fastest person at Alamany High School, great. But what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Um, are you the fa- fastest person in the league? Are you the fastest person in Southern California? The fastest person in the state? That those are where you should be setting your sights. And so think bigger. Um, think bigger. Yeah. And, and and he pushed me to do that. That um, that when you're a real athlete, there is no off season. That you are constantly working on your game, working on your craft, trying to get better. He was the first one to kind of introduce that introduce that concept to me. Um, and he and I are friends to this day. Oh, wow. he's, he's like a father figure to me. Huh. And he's funny. He he actually left after my freshman year and went on and he coached um, at other high schools. So he only coached me that one, one year. season. Huh. Um, but we won a CIF championship in the 4 by 100 meter relay that year. Wow. Um, I had some pretty good individual success that year. And, and he and I have stayed in contact huh. to this day. In fact, we talked last week about wow. um, coaching and, and working with high school athletes. And he's really been a mentor for me. Uh, so John Mack is someone who really stands out um, from an athletic standpoint. Is helping lay that foundation um, that other coaches I had built on. Um, and then in the classroom, it was Kate Cerruti by far. <laughs> so Mrs. Cerruti was my gosh. She taught me a little bit of everything. She taught me uh, honors algebra. She also was my uh, honors uh, physics uh, teacher, AP physics teacher. Uh, she taught AP calculus as well. Um, one of the smartest people I've ever known in my life. Um, she too was an athlete in college. She was a swimmer and a runner. Hmm. Um, and she was a person who taught me that I wasn't just going to get by in life being a good athlete. Hmm. That that's great, but who really cares? And every day <laughs> she would remind me of that. And even though I, you know, I was a CIF championship athlete and all CIF and all this sort of stuff, um, she didn't care about that. And she would remind me of that, that that actually meant very little to her. What she cared about was what kind of student I was, what kind of young man I was growing into being. Um, And she was constantly reminding me of that. And so she, the way that Coach Mack pushed me on the field, uh, Ms. Rudy would push me uh, in the classroom that don't take the easy way out. Don't take the the easy classes. You're going to be in my AP calculus class. You're going to be in my AP physics class because you're good enough to be in this class. You just got to work hard enough. And she really, she didn't care who I was as an athlete, even though she was a huge fan of mine from an athletic standpoint, that wasn't important to her. And so I knew every time I walked through her door and into her classroom, she cared about how good of a student I was going to be on that day. And I had to prove it to her every single day. And, uh, you know, she, she earned my respect and forced me to earn hers. Yeah. And, and that was a lesson that, that has paid off for me. Yeah. And it seems like both, even though probably very different people or oh, yeah. uh, had similar similar approaches and similar impacts absolutely. in a way, right? They, they think higher did. of yourself. Think yeah. bigger. Yeah. Um, so then you go to USC. Yeah. Are you, you're recruited as a... I'm recruited, yeah. Tra- for track or football uh, or both? For football. Okay. For football was, was my main sport. And so I was recruited uh, by many schools around the country and and ended up uh, picking USC. USC was always kind of where I wanted to go. I can yeah. remember back when I was six years old watching the 1980 Rose Bowl with hmm. my dad um, and watching Charlie White run over Ohio State on a way to a victory and my dad sitting on the couch saying, come on, Charlie, come on, Charlie. And, then, and our school's you know, affinity with USC was actually tied back to our roots in Tampa where um, – John McKay was the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when they were an expansion franchise. 
Uh, the city of Tampa had no um, professional teams, and the Buccaneers were the very first professional team the city had. And so there was a lot of, of spirit behind them. And actually, the Bucks came in like the year before we moved out to California, but uh -huh. we were always big Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans. Are you I, still a Bucks fan? I still am a Bucks yeah. fan. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more of an LA Rams fan than Bucks fan, but yeah. I still root for the Bucks. And so. Yeah. Uh, with John McKay having been the USC coach uh, for all those years in the 60s and coaching, you know, Mike Garrett, and Ricky Bell and some of the, the greats of the, the, the 60s teams of USC um, and then being the, the Buccaneers coach, we were big USC fans uh, because that's where our our coach had come from. And so um, big fans of, of USC and growing up and, and going to games and having season tickets and all that sort of stuff. And so. When USC offered me a scholarship, it was pretty clear it's a done what deal. I was going to do. And I can remember my my ninth grade year, uh, USC was it was nineteen eighty eight. Uh, USC was number two in the country. Notre Dame was number one. Uh, USC's quarterback was Rodney Pete. Notre Dame had Tony Rice, and it was a big battle at the Coliseum. And uh, unfortunately, the Irish got us that day. Uh -huh. uh, but I just remember being in that Coliseum with ninety thousand people going crazy and then turning to my dad and saying, I've got to be here. I've, <laughs> I've got to find a way to play for USC and play in this stadium and play in this game. Uh, one of the greatest rivalries in the history of college sports. I, I got to find a way to be a part of that. Um, and I was fortunate enough that I, that I did. That I, you was, did I was able to be a part of it. And That's it was, right. It and great. you were a fullback. Is that right? I was. So I, when I was first recruited to USC, I was recruited as a tailback. Okay. And then within a week of being there, they switched me to defensive back. Huh. Uh, and that represented an opportunity for me to get on the field earlier uh, and to play immediately. One of my goals coming out of Alamany was I didn't want a red shirt. Yeah. I wanted to play as a true freshman. And so I was able to do that. Wow. And, uh, but the way I was able to do that was on the defensive side Defense, of the ball. Yeah. So my first two years, I was a DB, a reserve defensive back, really didn't get on the field that much. Uh, played a lot of special teams, running down, covering kicks. And while I was happy because I was a Trojan, I wasn't wasn't playing a whole lot. Yeah. So uh, as we do, as Barnums do for most things, we circle the wagons when one of us is having a little bit of a crisis. And so uh, we got What do you together. mean by that? Uh, well, you know, it goes back to moving out here, you know, in 1977. And it was just six of us, and we were all we had yeah. out here yeah. um, was – you know, my mom, my dad, and you know, my sister, and my two older brothers, and myself, we were all we had. Yeah. And so it was very clear that we had to have each other's backs, that we were literally in a foreign city, uh, and we needed to be there for one another. And that that mindset has stuck with our family yeah. um, through the years. And so we're there. We, we circle the wagons. And even though our family has grown and, and we have, you know, children and grandchildren and spouses now... Um, whenever one of us is in trouble, we circle the wagons and we'll either get on a conference call or, <laughs> or get together and, and talk th talk it through as a family and give advice on what we ought to do and, and, and kind of problem solve together as a family. We've always done that. And that's just part of being a Barnum and what we do. And so at that point, you're what a sophomore at USC and you're not getting the playing time you want. And so you're on the phone with your family saying, I'm, I'm on what the should phone? I do? Should yeah. I transfer? Should right. I? Should I transfer? What should I do? And, and. You know, they basically said, look, Terry, you, you've been an offensive-minded guy, player your whole career. And so if you're not going to play, you need to not play where you're best. And so go ask coach. And at that time, it was John Robinson was the coach. And 
go he ask, later coached the Rams, right? He had coached yeah. the Rams previously. Oh, previously. So, so, sorry, yeah, previously so he had coached at SC, then went to coach the Rams. This was his second stint at USC. Um, and so this was in the spring of 1994. Uh, I went in and said, Coach, I, I want to play running back. That, that's where that's what I was recruited to play when I came to SC. That's where I feel I'm best. And I'd like to have a shot in spring ball. And he said, okay, wow. I'll give you a shot. But here's the thing. If it doesn't work out, I'm moving you back to DB, and I never want to hear about it again. <laughs> and I said, fair enough. Some tough love. Yeah, too, I, right? I said, fair enough. I just want a shot. And so that spring ball went well. Uh, I was able to kind of make my mark a little bit. And Great. at the end of it, he said, uh, okay, we're going to keep you on the offensive side of the ball. You're right. That's that's where you belong. We're going to keep you on the offensive side of the ball. And so uh, I stayed there three games into my junior year. Um we we were running a single back offense at the time, kind of two tight ends and two wide receivers, a single back. Uh, we weren't really getting traction with the run game that we that we wanted to, and we were kind of doing running back by committee. So I was one of four guys in the running back rotation. Um, and Mike Riley, who ended up going on to be the head coach at Oregon State, yeah. coach at Chargers. Your, your Chargers, Chargers for, for, for a period of time, a few seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mike Riley was our offensive coordinator at the time, and he said. Um, I think we need to get a fullback. And so uh, I got called in mm. and said, look, uh, you're a little undersized, but you're not playing all that much, and we need a fullback. Would you be interested in learning? I said, I just want to get on the field. Yeah. yeah, whatever you need me to do. And so uh, over the first couple of weeks, they kind of taught me the ropes a little bit. And um, I can remember we were back at playing Penn State, uh, and we – getting beat. That was the year that they actually uh, went undefeated with Kijana Carter and Kerry oh, yeah. Collins. Yeah, yeah that, I remember that. That, that team. So um, we had played back at Happy Valley and they had beat us bad and it was late in the game and uh, Coach Riley said, okay, we're going to run a little bit of two-back set and so Barnum go in at, at, uh, at fullback and we're going to start running some ISOs and some you know weak side blast and just trying to go straight ahead, get back to some fundamental football and you know the whole student body right that USC had been known for. Yeah. Let's try to get back to that. And uh, we had our best offensive drive of the year. Um, wow. We drove you know 90 yards, scored a touchdown late in the game. It was it was in garbage time, but we finally were able to get some we're traction, yeah, yeah, and some momentum. So the next week we played Baylor at home, and uh, I got the start and. The rest was history. I wow. was starting uh, fullback for USC for the remainder of my time. And we were getting handoffs and catching some passes a bit as mainly, well? Mainly catching balls out of the backfield. You know, back then it was a little bit of West Coast offense kind yeah. of thought. And so uh, I was the second leading receiver on the team. Oh, wow. My junior and senior as a fullback. Year. Yep, as a fullback wow. behind Keyshawn Johnson. So wow. Obviously, we were trying to get Keyshawn the ball as yeah, much as we course. can. Wow. As he often told us, get me the damn ball. So. <laughs> That 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 did not start his rookie year in, in New York. He in was doing Jets. that before. Yeah, that makes sense. Before he was a pro football player, he was telling us, "Get me the damn ball." So, um, but yeah, I would they they would throw me the ball out of the backfield, and uh, I'd block for our tailbacks and and just kind of do whatever needed to be done. And it it and I really enjoyed that role. I enjoyed kind of doing whatever needed to be yeah. done to help the team move forward. Um, worked out great. We you know won the Cotton Bowl my junior year. Uh, which is a wonderful bowl to go to, and then uh, beat Northwestern in the Rose Bowl my senior year. And you scored a touchdown. I did in I, the Rose Bowl. I was Bowl. fortunate enough to score a touchdown. T- tell, bring us to the what was the play? <laughs> I want. I haven't heard you. So go it was a uh, it was a shoot route uh, that we ran. Where basically on that side of the field, um, we would have uh, 
basically Keyshawn out there as a wide receiver, and he would run basically a hook pattern to kind of draw the the, the defense, and I would run around him down the sideline, um, and hopefully get kind of lost. And mm. that's what happened. He drew the he drew a lot of the coverage. Uh, we usually ran that route from about the twenty yard line, somewhere between the 15, 20 yard line in, because we could we usually could get in the end zone from there. And um, yeah, I was able to to catch it. And uh, Brad Otten was the quarterback at the time, and uh, the protection broke down a little bit, so he got flushed to his right a little bit. And luckily, that's the side I was on, and he threw it to me. And uh, it's funny back then we we you had to tape it uh, on VHS tape, and so we have a VHS yeah. tape of the game. And the legendary uh, college football announcer Keith Jackson oh, was calling wow. the game, huh? And he, I can remember the call. He's like, Otten is. Uh, He's flushed out to the right, looking at the end zone, and is caught. Terry Barnum. And then there's a pause while the crowd is cheering, and he says, he got lost in the band. And, and <laughs> it's it's so great. It's like I actually think I want that written on my tombstone, right? He got lost in the band because um, the USC band was seating, it was was uh, seated right there in that corner of the end zone. Um, and they're wearing their Cardinal and Gold uniforms, I had my Cardinal Gold uniform that was in the end zone that was painted Cardinal and Gold. And so from a distance, it all kind of blended camouflaged. in. Yeah. Exactly. And so Keith Jackson said, I wow. I got lost in the band there. And so that's that's one of my proud athletic moments is that Keith Jackson called my name on a Rose Bowl touchdown saying I got lost in the band. Wow. So it, was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, so at USC, were there other um, – Folks who influenced you, teammates or coaches. Yeah, absolutely. You, um, you know, Dennis professors. Thurman. Yeah, Dennis Thurman is one that I that comes to mind. He um, he was the defensive back coach at the time. So when John Robinson came in, that was my sophomore year. Was his first year. Uh, Dennis Thurman was one of the coaches, and um, he he kind of much like John Mack, kind of helped take my my athletic career to the next level. The idea of the attention to detail film study was something that he introduced to me that we, you know, we did it a little bit in high school, but I never really knew how to watch film in yeah. high school. Um, Coach Thurman taught me how to watch film and how to be critical of myself and how to bring my best on every play. Um, I can remember he and Coach Robinson saying, look, um, there are no excuses out here. I don't want to hear you slip. And then, you know, the, the year before they had got here, got there, we had gone six and five, um, or six and six, maybe lost to Fresno State in the Freedom Bowl. Um, Larry Smith had gotten fired, and so John Robinson came in with a new staff. And the first thing he said to us was, "We're going to stop having excuses here. This team is full of excuses. I slipped. I'm hurt. I couldn't make the play. I didn't, <laughs> and and none of that wins. So if you slip, you're a slipper. I remember him saying that. If you slip, you're a slipper." Um, there are no excuses. And so uh, Coach Thurman really kind of reinforced that, that I don't want to hear excuses about anything. Um, I, it, you're going to come here to play, and I'm going to play the best guys. And if you're not good enough, you're not going to play. Hmm. Um, and even though I ended up switching sides of the ball and he ended up only being my coach that one year, uh, he had such a profound impact. I mean, he was still on the staff, so I still interacted with him and still talked to him. In fact, I literally was on the phone with him yesterday hmm. um, wow. talking about football. And, and again, because he's become a lifelong friend of of just uh, teaching me how to do things the right way. And, yeah, he still still has that influence on me. You know, I hear you've, you've, you've told stories about a few of these educators or, or coaches who are saying um, – 
you know, think think bigger, work harder. I don't care how good you are on the sports field. I want to see you get an A and AP physics or whatever. When you think about Harvard Westlake's athletics program, and as we think as a school about creating more balance and taking kind of easing the pressure in certain ways, there's still, it seems like a a value in, I don't know if pressure is the right word, but um, rigor when it comes to our athletic program and making sure that kids are uh, working as hard as they can and being the best they can. And I wonder how you think about that with regard to your own educational experiences and trying to create that while also being sensitive to happiness and balance. Right. right? I, I think ideals and like work ethic and accountability yeah. are positive. Yeah. And everyone, I think everyone can agree those are positive things. Acquiring them are difficult. Yeah. And that's where I think some of the challenge comes in is that um, it is going to be uncomfortable learning to be accountable, mm-hmm. learning to have a good work ethic, particularly for adolescents. Um, that can create some uncomfortable moments. And being able to sit in that uncomfortableness mm-hmm. and then recognizing it and then finding a way through it is truly where character is built. Um but the process itself is messy yeah. and painful oftentimes. And so everyone wants the outcome. Everyone wants to say their son or daughter or that they themselves have character, have resolve, um, have you know uh, grit. Everyone wants to be able to say that. How you acquire it, though, is typically through a uncomfortable and at times painful process. And so not giving up in that process is really what's key. And so many of our students, most of our students, I would say, are able to come out the other side of that. And then who they are as people, um, they're very proud of, and we're all very proud of. The process of getting there can be challenging at times. And so it's our job as professionals to provide enough challenge and support so that they are prepared and they are able to have that character and that grit at the end, but not breaking them in the process because that doesn't work either. And what's good about sports, I guess, is you sometimes get the immediate feedback, whereas yes. you that you don't always get in the classroom, right? That's you exactly wait for right. a grade, or every few weeks, or you wait for um, a, you know a score on a test every few weeks. Whereas in in sports, almost every day, you can you can uh, measure yourself against something or get feedback immediately from a coach, and it's public. Yeah. Also, too, I mean, that's the thing that makes sports in the educational setting so unique is that you know what happens to you in a classroom is private. It's you and 14 other Harvard-Westlake students, and it's your paper and your tests and at your desk. And at the end, only you and the teacher know how you really did and whomever you decide to share it with. What happens athletically happens very publicly. Yeah. The games are open to the public. Anybody can come see it. It's oftentimes covered by the media, whether it's our own media here at our school or, or external media outlets. Um, and so there's an accountability that comes with that, Mm -hmm. that um, you have to own it. You have to own your own performance, your own effort. Um, You can't hide from it. And I think that that process really builds resolve that, you know, this is something I'm going to have to own, whether I did really well or I didn't do as well. Um, I can't kid myself on how I did because there's evidence there that others and there were witnesses there. (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, that can speak to what really happened. Yeah. And so I, I think that that also helps build um, our athletes. Yeah. And the fact that there that when you're part of a team, that even though it feels public and the stakes seem high and there's a sensitivity there because things are public, you hopefully have people to rely upon. Correct. Right. In Correct. addition to a coach who's hopefully supportive, yes. you have <laughs> teammates. I mean, yeah. even if it's a, a personal, if it's an individual sport like tennis or yeah. um, you, uh, you have teammates who can be there to pick you up. And I think hopefully. if you ask any athlete that the, the moments that they remember most are being with their teammates yeah. and that the highs are that much higher because there's someone else out there that went through the exact same thing you went through and sacrificed exactly what you sacrificed in order to achieve that goal. And so when you achieve it, it's actually even sweeter because you did it together. Yeah. And there's someone actually out there who truly does understand what it means and what it feels like and what you had to go through to get there. That's what makes it great. Is that what you miss most about playing football at USC? No I mean, doubt. scoring a touchdown yeah. in the Rose Bowl is pretty good, <laughs> but it's it's probably. I mean, I've heard this from professional athletes who retire. Sure. What do you miss most? It's the it's the bus. It's the Absolutely. locker room. It's a hanging out with. Th those are the things yeah. that you remember. You yeah. remember your teammates. You remember those times in the locker room. You remember those moments that were hard. You remember those moments that were sweet and great. Um, but you you remember the relationships, uh, the, the the plays, and the what you accomplished on the field, those things matter, um, but they're not the things that you remember the most. You remember the relationships the most. And, and yeah, I would say that's probably the thing that I that I miss most about sports in terms of playing sports. Yeah. Um, it's part of the reason why I have this job, why I took this job. Is yeah, you still get to be a part of it. I get to compete vicariously through these kids every <laughs> single day and be a little bit a part of their team every single day. Um, is that what you enjoy most about this role? I have the greatest job in the world. There's no doubt about Why it. Why is that? Because I get to I get paid to watch kids play sports. If you <laughs> just think about that concept for a second, right? That you get paid to watch kids play. Um, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it in the world. And and because the kids here at Harvard Westlake are so talented and so motivated and just naturally good people. Um the coaches I work with are so professional and dedicated to their job and dedicated to the kids and always putting the kids first. Um, and the school provides resources to allow us to strive for greatness. Um, that uh, makes this a truly a blessing to work here. My job is just to don't get in the way and screw it up. <laughs> um, so I love it. I absolutely love it. So I want to end with some uh, kind of just a few get to know you sure. questions. Okay. Great. And uh, I've, I've decided to center them around Los Angeles a little bit. We're known for uh, kind of movies. We're known for food. Yeah. We're known, known for our climate. So Great. first, what is, what's Terry Barnum's favorite movie? What's the movie you always go back to? You could have a couple if, you, if it's yeah. a couple. I'm, I'm going to have to have a couple because I can't just pick one. Okay. Um, do the right thing. Okay, Spike Lee. Love doing the right thing. I remember going and watching that with my brother. Uh, I was in high school. I guess it was 1989. So yeah, I was I was in high school. Um, my brother was uh, in college at the time, and he and I went to the movie theater. And I remember when you had this on spoiler alert for anyone who's listening and hadn't <laughs> seen it. Um, but at the end, when they killed Radio Rahim, uh, the anger yeah. that my brother and I had. Like I remember walking out of the theater and driving home. We didn't talk to each other. We were both so angry. Huh. We just didn't even talk. But it just moved us so much. The power we, of the The power film. of the movie. It was a great movie. Um, yeah. I, I watch it to this day. I, I watch it do the right thing. Yeah. Make sure my kids watch it, all of that. So <laughs> yeah. Do the right thing. Love that. Um, Love Training Day. Oh, okay. Oh, my gosh. Love that movie. Denzel. Denzel. 
was Ethan amazing yeah. in that movie. Love Training Day. Got a whole idea. You've been thinking about this all day. I've been thinking about this all week, son. I lo- <laughs> love that. You I was know, at, this is chess. This isn't checkers. It was great. <laughs> love it. I was at Warner Brothers once, uh, just in the, the gift shop or one of these places, and they had on display uh, his script, Denzel's script from that movie oh, wow. that he had marked on. And you could see he had gone over each word with pencil 300 times or something. I mean, you just, wow. the, and he had dug in yeah. to the page with his pencil just because he had gone over each word so many times in the force with which he was saying everywhere. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. So I love that. I and mean, my third would probably be uh, Shawshank Redemption. Okay. I mean, a classic movie. Nice. It's just a classic. And it's one of those movies that anytime you like, you're flipping around, you know, HBO, whatever, and it comes on, I freeze. Whatever I was going to do, I'm not going to do now because I'm going to watch the watch rest Shawshank of the movie. Wherever I pick it up, I'm going to watch it the rest of the way. So I had my wife had not seen Shawshank Redemption oh until the, the past year. One of the great joys of just w- having someone else watch that movie yes. and not knowing where it's going to go. And <laughs> yeah. that's definitely that's in my top uh, yeah. 10, I think, too. Absolutely. What's your favorite meal? In Los Angeles, you can say it's at a restaurant, but if it's something that that you could make at home, that's fine too. But what, I, I what love, do you think about your favorite? I love hamburgers. Meal? Hamburgers, in fact, chili burgers, like chili burgers. I I can't get enough. Who makes the best chili burger in LA? You know what? So here's the thing. So so there are two places. Okay. Um, I love Fat Burger. Okay. The King Chili Cheese, <laughs> no relish. Uh, oh, so good. Um. But I also love the Munchbox. Shout out to the Munchbox. Where's the Munchbox? I don't know the Munchbox. Chatsworth, California. Oh, okay. Going back to on the, your roots. Yes, right there off the railroad track, right next to the post office off of Devonshire and Canoga. Okay. Across the street from Hughes Market. It was Hughes. It's now Ralph's. But the Munchbox, a little mom and pop shop. Um. Love it. I've taken my wife up there, and she's like, this is the greatest burger ever. Like, it's, wow. you got to hit up the Munchbox in Chatsworth, California. If you're ever around, go see the Munchbox in Chatsworth, California. Okay. It's great. All right. It's great. Um, third, what's your favorite place in L.A.? The Los Angeles Memorial College. <laughs> of course. I should have known that one. It's, it's Dumb uh, question. Not just because of USC football, because I love going to Rams games there. Um, in fact, my my sons and I just went to the last Rams game in the Coliseum. Oh, okay. That was a special moment, you know, to be there because we actually were at the first Rams game there when they came back. Oh, yeah. Did you go to the preseason one against the Cowboys or um, was it a regular season? The regular season. Oh, I went to the preseason one, oh, yeah, actually. Yeah, I, I went say. to the, the regular season one against the Seahawks. Got it. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. So that's just a it, sacred it, place. It, it's, uh, it's my happy place. It's huh. the place I go and everything's right in the world. Even when, you know, the sco- the scoreboard isn't in favor of the Trojans or the Rams. Yeah. Um, just so many memories there. I, it's so iconically uh, L.A. And it's just home. It, it just feels like home. It has a certain smell that in the afternoon when the sun is setting on the west side of the stadium, there's a little bit of a haze mm-hmm. that comes over the field and there's a Smog. smell. No, no, no. Smog we're we're going to call it haze. Okay, haze. We're going to call right. it a haze. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a smell that comes from the grass that just, yeah. it's 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 winning time. Well, you it's had like the realization before. of a dream there yeah, too, right? Absolutely. I mean, you as a kid went and watched and said, I want to play yeah. here. And then you... You know, absolutely. You so, did. so Coliseum is, is my favorite place. Got in it. LA. Last question. Yeah. What is your best parenting advice? Either advice you have, it could be an original, oh, or it can be something that was 
handed down. I'm a parent of a 14-month-old daughter. Sure. Uh, Beautiful daughter, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. What's your best advice? I would say this. My, my best advice for parents is allow your kids to make mistakes. And your job isn't to prevent the mistakes. It's to help them figure out how to fix it. Hmm. Not fix it for them. Yeah. But help them develop the tools to fix it for themselves. Because at some point, they're going to have a problem or going to make a mistake that you can't fix. And so if you haven't been preparing your child for that, um, then they're going to be stuck. It's kind of the idea. And if of, it ever happens, they'll be. Correct. It's kind of the idea of prepare your child for the path, not the path for the child. Huh. And so I like that. Prepare your child for the bumps in, in the road that are coming. Yeah. That you can predict and ones that you can't predict and allow them to have their own their own crises, you know, um, you know, uh, Liz Resnick, uh, God rest her soul. Mm -hmm. She, she, uh, had a, a great saying that she would share with us is, you know, don't, don't deprive a family, the crisis that they need to have. Hmm. Um, and I would say that for our kids too. Don't, yeah. don't, don't deprive them of that. That that's where growth happens. That's where some of the best lessons are learned are in those moments of crisis. And so while it can be difficult to go through, particularly as a parent, when you see your kid going through, there's nothing worse than watching your kid suffer or hurt or be in discomfort or in pain. But they got to go through it yeah. because that's going to help them be the adult that you ultimately want them to be. And just to bring this full circle, sports can be a great place to make mistakes, that, that's, right? That's and learn it. those lessons. I play baseball. You, they say if you go to Hall of Fame, if you fail two out of right. every three times, <laughs> exactly. you play, right? I mean, it's learning... Yeah. Learning that is so important, and sports can be a great place for it's, that, too. It's, right? it's the best classroom in the world. Yeah. That's why I love working in it. Terry Barnum, thank you so much thank for, you for being here. Me. Love this conversation. Um, this is The Supporting Cast. Mm -hmm.